You are listening to SPN, the Sports Podcasting Network. Hey, wow. You know what? The imagination now. Everybody has changed. Now they're getting so uh, creative in terms of their thinking and what they can do. Man, it's, it's, this is the best I've seen. Yeah, when you jump that damn high, you got a lot of time. To He's up the floor. Reads a drop down. Kobe! Oh! Up high! Down hard! Kobe Bryant! Very deep, yeah. Blocked by LeBron! That basketball will never be the same! So that now has entered the fray. Let's Welcome back to Hardwood Radio, Ben. How you been? Good, you? Pretty good. Long, hard week. It's been like three days without podcasting because of different timing schedule and everybody needs to take a break to have something to say sometimes. But uh, I'm back on the mic and it feels great today. It's it's Tuesday, but it feels like Monday. Well, what's better than some hoops talk to get you going, right? Uh, not a lot at all. And uh, <laughs> not a big eventful week. Maybe up to today now with the suspension of Dwight Howard, there was a Jeff Hornacek firing. And you wanted to talk about the actual Jeff Hornacek firing, uh, the reason behind it and the whole aspect of it. So we'll start with this. How can you explain the firing of Jeff Hornacek in the NBA this year? Well, here's the thing. Jeff Hornacek was hired in 2012-2013 to coach the Phoenix Suns, and he did very good. He had a very strange, um, a very strange lineup, but he found ways to make it work with two point guards instead of one, two uh, main ball handlers exchanging uh, duties while being on the floor at the same time, and the Suns were fun to watch for the first year, but. Uh, there has been some personal moves over the last two years, and it's been going downhill ever since. And this week, Jeff Hornacek paid the price for that, and I think it was very unfair. Is it basically the post-Steve Nash? I know it's been years and years ago, but Steve mm -hmm. Nash was so important in that team that it's basically Azora left the state for a couple of years after. And it's the transition after to the, another different type of playing mentality that never really actually happened in that club. Well, 2012-2013 was the year Steve Nash uh, was uh, traded to Los Angeles. And there is a speculation around the league that this is when the disconnect between the management and the players started. Because he was such a revered icon who was flipped to Los Angeles for picks. It, uh, it was a good decision in hindsight, but... Back then, it got a lot of people angry, and Steve Nash uh, first. Um, for a little bit of uh, background, the GM of the uh, uh, of the Phoenix Suns is a guy named Ryan McDonough, exactly like the uh, New York defensive. Rangers defenseman. <laughs> he was playing. He was uh, the assistant GM for uh, the Boston Celtics for many years, and he was revered as the next great GM to be. And now he's got this job in Phoenix, and he's been doing some good moves. He's been drafting some very good players. Alex Len has, has evolved into a great defensive presence. Devin Booker this year is one of the um, steals of the draft and being hailed as the next Clay Thompson. Maybe, maybe it's a little much for the young, uh, the young gun, but he's going to be a very good player. 
but he has been moving players left and right. He has been making some promises, breaking some promises, and I think it's made the player angry. I think the players quit on the management, and uh, Jeff Hornacek paid for that. I don't think they quit on the coach at all. I just don't. I just think they didn't didn't want to play. Because it's a team that's been together for a long time, if you're looking at the Suns. And it's oh, yeah. a team that's maybe at the end of their rope, at the end of their run. And maybe they kept the core together too long in a ever-evolving <laughs> landscape that the NBA is right now with the type of play really changing to a quick, rapid pace mm-hmm. with an older team. Uh, is there anything else to explain the firing of Ornacek but saying, look, we need to change philosophy. And why, if we have decided to change philosophy in the offseason, why not do it now and have two, three months of practice before next year starts? He he didn't adapt to the uh, intense turnover of players and he could not uh, make the different styles of players acquired work together quite as well as he did in his first year. Um, they've been playing faster and faster. They've been, in many ways, they even pioneered that uh movement in the Mike D'Antoni era in the 06, 07. Um, but he, it's a question of adapting and finding answers, but there's something very rotten in the culture right now in, uh, in uh, Phoenix, and we know now that Jeff Hornacek was not the culprit. Now, the culprit either is Robert Sarver, the new owner, or um, Ryan McDonough. It's one of the two. You know what they did, right, in order to find an interim coach? No, I don't. They ran interviews between the assistants. <laughs> they had three assistants competing for the interim head coach uh, um, uh, place in a team that is in complete disarray. So I mean, there's I mean, two assistant coaches right now that are mad that are not going to get chosen. Uh, probably. I don't know if they're mad or if they're bitter or anything, but... Oh. One of the two, one of the three got chosen, which was Hurl Watson, which is barely freshly retired. And if I was a guy, if it was a career, uh, if it was a career assistant, I would get angry at this. And I don't see how it's going to get better uh, than it was with Jeff Ornesek. I don't see how there are better candidates than Jeff Ornesek uh, out there that will accept to join such a rotten culture. Is Tom Thibodeau going to accept going there? No way. Yeah. Now it's been two weeks in a row, Ben. We talked about coach being fired, David Blatt, yes. last week. And this week we have uh, Jeff Hornacek. Who's the coach going to get fired next week? Oh, damn. It was such a surprise both for both guys for me. Yeah. Uh, we're getting into that part of the season, too, where, like I was saying, some teams might decide to part ways with their coaches and might decide to do this sooner rather than later. Uh, part of me wants Randy Whitman to lose his job really bad because he's bungling the whole situation with the Washington Wizards, but the only team that has given me alarming signs of uh, growing impatience with their coach is the Los Angeles Lakers. There is more and more uh, news leaking in the uh, media that Byron Scott, their head coach, who is doing a terrible job this year, remember um, uh, Coach Shelby and I discussing it? He was doing a horrible job with their first pick, D'Angelo Russell, and they have a rivalry uh, going on apparently within the team and it's starting, starting to leak in the media. I think they might lose patience and fire Scott before the season is over. 
one thing that really interests me is you were uh, you wanted to do on this show something that you wanted to do for a long time because we're yes. getting close to eventually the trade deadline in the next couple yes. of weeks uh, with the uh, Friday is the All Star game but we don't really care about the All Star game at all. We couldn't <laughs> care less about All Star games. We just had two last Sunday and I didn't watch any of them. I just watched John Scott MVP and. Quite honestly, I thought it was a cool story. But outside of that, <laughs> I don't give a damn about All-Star Games. So you wanted to do a primer on NBA trades because the way NBA works is different. If you are new to the NBA since the, the beginning of Hardwood Radio, you don't necessarily understand how trade works. So you want to do a primer on the actual NBA trades. Well, it's very it's it's more complex than it seems, and it's not it doesn't follow the same logic than other sports league. So I'm gonna start breaking it down, and don't hesitate stopping me and asking questions if uh, there's something that's not clear because you have to bear with me. Well, as me as the newbie, will it'll probably happen. <laughs> well, the thing about NBA trades is that the money has to match. Um, there is a salary cap, which I think is uh, around 70 million this year. And the money has to match because not all the teams are willing to go in the luxury tax. Luxury tax, not okay, every so team. Just yep. to make sure, it's not a hard cap. It's a soft cap, which that means that if you go over the cap, you have a luxury tax to pay, which is yes, different sir. than the NHL. Example, the NHL, you cannot go over the cap at all. If you do that, you actually lose draft picks or other consequences. So it's what we call a soft cap, just like Major League Baseball. Oh, yeah. Um, the, the team that has paid the most luxury tax in history, I think it was the New, the New Jersey, the New Jersey, pardon me, the Brooklyn Nets a couple of years ago when they have, I think, over like 80 millions worth of money to give to the league in, uh, in the cap space. And so in, as when trades are evaluated in the NBA, a player that uh, performs up to his contract is a good asset. A player that doesn't perform up to his contract is a terrible asset. And the player that outperforms his contract is what everybody wants. Yeah. Makes sense so far? Yes, it's like the bargain. The player that's playing out of his mind and paying less than he maybe should be, be like example, a Steph Curry right now, is exactly. what we want. But yeah, but Steph Curry right now is, is, is a different is, yeah, it's a different situation. He's getting he's getting uh, role player money. I know twelve million dollars a year is a lot of money for <laughs> someone in the NHL, but in the NBA it's role player money. It's for a good role player, but uh, for a give to give you an example it's, it's Draymond Green money, what you should have compared to what Curry should have. Draymond is currently earning more money. Exactly. Than, uh, That's what I'm saying. No, um, Robin Lopez from the Knicks is getting $13 million a year. Wow. And Robin Lopez is doing no. a great job at manning the post, but he was in no way as valuable as Steph Curry. Yeah. But Nobody is Steph Curry. Like, he's the best in the league. So he's exactly. $12 million a year. So, what is a very interesting wrinkle in the NBA is that. Teams are going to attach bad contracts to a transaction or expiring contracts to a transaction in order to make the money match or in order to get uh, in, in order to get an asset. For example, um, right now the, a big asset, a big uh, trade target in the NBA is New Orleans Ryan Anderson. He is a six ten power forward. He is a he's a dead eye shooter from three points. So that makes him very very valuable in today's NBA. But the trick here is that the New Orleans Pelican want to attach the contract of Omer Ajik to it. And nobody wants to take that money. Omer Ajik is a seven-foot center 
who would have been tearing it up in 1990s NBA, but is way too slow for how it's done right now. He cannot score. He cannot uh, guard a pick and roll. He just stays in the post and tries not to mess up. So, so the team who is going to take um, Omer Ajik is going to have Ryan Anderson. Uh, same thing for um, the uh, That's Phoenix Suns. That's kind of mean. Like, hey, you want that guy? He's really good. He's a good value. Take him. But if you want him, yes, take this guy that we don't like him. Oh, yeah. And Omer Ajik is making $55 million for the next five years. That's it's Steph a Curry lot money. of money. That's Steph Curry money. <laughs> it's a lot of money to clog your cap with. And you can always, in the NBA, you can always buy him out. But you'll have to his uh How much his is it? Money. Two-thirds or one-third of the contract that you have to pay for him? Uh, yes, uh, I think you have to uh, negotiate it with the player, but his money will count against your salary cap, and you can use uh, something called the stretch provision, which you can stretch him or stretch it over more years yeah. and have to pay less every year. Yeah. But Omer Ajik is would be is a huge problem for the New Orleans Pelicans right now. It's a bad contract, and nobody wants to take him for it. So everybody's going to wait. For uh, Ryan Anderson to fall into free agency, I think. Uh, same thing for Markeith Morris with the Suns, who has been on the trading block since the beginning of the season. Markeith Morris uh, is a good player. He is oddly the only player in the NBA who um, keeps who, who can defend Draymond Green effectively. Like it's it's, it's up to a certain point to a, such a point that Steve Kerr just doesn't leave Draymond Green on the court when Markeith Morris is there. That's how good he's defending him. He would have a lot of uh, value to any NBA team. But right now, Mar Markeith went in the media to request a trade so many times. He undermined his own value yeah. so many times. I was going to say, if you always say that you want to leave, your general manager is going to say, dude, stop saying it. Because every time you say it, it's me losing from a second to third drafting because people know you want to leave this club. Exactly. So right now, the, I've heard uh, Zach Lowe, I think it was on Twitter, say that he is a low-hanging fruit. People, uh, other GM, are trying to extract other players to the uh, uh, from the Suns in order to get to take Markeith Morris, who is going to overachieve, I'm 100% sure, on another team. I think um, New Orleans and Houston are very... Um, likely uh, to uh, acquire acquire him. No, absolutely. But one thing that really surprised me, it's a stipend rule. So what is that <laughs> rule and uh, what can you tell us about it? Well, back in the 80s, um, another Cleveland thing that happened to the NBA was uh, Ted Stipion, who was the first owner of the Cavaliers. I think he was the first owner. But he was the guy who sold Cavaliers to Dan Gilbert, who owns them right now. Uh, that, Ted Stipion was insane. And kept throwing uh, draft picks after draft picks in exchange for players that were not always good. And he severely handicapped the future of his franchise because of that. And uh, so the NBA, David Stern, had to step in and forbid him to trade his draft picks for more than two years in a row. So Ted Stipion was forbade by the NBA from uh, trading this first-round draft pick more than two years in a row, which I am uh, very uh, thankful for because the um, New York Knicks would not have a draft pick for the next 15 years if they didn't <laughs> have it. 
but it doesn't it doesn't uh, save you from messing up the the um uh, Brooklyn Nets right now don't own their uh, draft pick in 2016, which will probably go top three, maybe first overall to the Boston Celtics. Uh, by the way, the Boston Celtics are rumored to be dangling it to Los Angeles for Blake Griffin right now. Wow. And, <laughs> and, um, Look, they... you can have Simmons, which we'll talk about later. Look, you can have Simmons, but we want to have Blake. Exactly, and Blake is in a very... Uh, tough spot and like I said many times this year the pieces don't match in LA so that might happen I I think there is less than five percent of the chances that it might happen but it might happen anyway so to continue with the Stepien rule in 2017 the Nets were not uh, were not permitted to trade their first round draft pick but they swapped their first round draft pick with the Celtics again and for the Kevin Garnett and Paul Pierce trade. So whoever uh, finishes, uh, <laughs> for whoever finishes uh, worse has uh, the first pick. round draft pick. Let's say, let's say the Nets keep sucking. Well, the, um, the Celtics can swap picks with them. And in 2018, they owe a first round draft pick to the Celtics again. So they wow. do not have hope to uh, get a good player in the lottery before 2019. And who knows is, what that's going to be? It's too far away. Exactly. So they could, like these guys are 13-year-old right now. We, we don't yeah. know who is going to make it to college yet. Some of these kids will just flame out. And so right now there's, no, there's nothing uh, the <coughs> Nets can do except trade their guys for draft picks, basically. No, absolutely. We mentioned Ben Simmons, and let's yes, talk about him. He's the your prospect of the week this week. Yes, it's sir. Getting close to March, we're a month away from March, and then a couple weeks from March Madness till then. So maybe what six months away from the beginning of March Madness. So Ben Simmons, LSU, the the biggest prospect this year so far. The one player teams want to tank for. What yes. can you tell us about Ben Simmons? Ben Simmons is <coughs> basically. According to some scouts, the uh, living embodiment of Mike Magic Johnson. He is the return of Magic Johnson in the NBA. He is a 6'10 guy who can play point guard, who can run the offense, who has a magnificent passing vision. I've seen a couple of his games, and that guy has eyes behind his head. Like we're talking better than Stephen Curry as passing. You know, he has less options and he makes crazier passes. And but there's a hitch in um, there's a hitch in the armor. Ben Simmons can shoot. <laughs> ben Simmons can get to the rim. Ben Simmons can finish. If Ben Simmons has to spot up, he has I think under thirty uh, percent spot up thirty uh, percent percentage for spot up jump shots, which is really 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 bad. So. Is he really Magic Johnson? Uh, will he uh, play power forward like he's playing now for LSU? Or will he play point guard? Because I can see Philadelphia drafting him and playing him point guard and having him dwarf down some six-foot-one poor bastard <laughs> who's caught playing against him. That would be the smart thing to do because I don't think any point guard can defend him. And I, I think it would be, it would be a nightmare uh, mismatch 
to have him run pick and rolls with New Orleans Noel, Joel Embiid, Jalil Okafor, and whoever um, the uh, 76ers have down low. They have plenty of power forwards. They have no point guard. This is interesting for them. This is the option. Have you seen him play this year? A little bit here and there on uh, on highlights. More of a highlight type of uh, situation that I've seen him. Uh, but what do you think of Simmons? Is it too late in his career for him to learn to shoot properly or to learn to drain shots at a high percentage, which he'll need to do eventually in the NBA to become a really great superstar in today's NBA? Or his physical dominance will be enough? It depends. Uh, it depends. Uh, um There's a story that I really like about Kawhi Leonard, who really had a terrible jump shot in college that got him drafted 15th when he should have gone top five in the 2011 draft. He was cocking the ball over his head. He was shooting flat. It was it looked like a nightmare, but he fell in the right situation. The San Antonio Spurs traded for him on draft day. And they happen to have the best shot doctor in the NBA, a guy named Chip Angelin or Engelin. I don't know how, how it's spelled. But this guy revolutionized Kawhi's jump shot. And he's one of the best spot-up shooters in the NBA right now. So it depends on the situation. Uh, can he rely on his athleticism? Probably. Probably up to a certain point. But he's, he's not going to be a transcendent Talent like he's not gonna be uh, LeBron James. He's gonna gonna be a uh, Scottie Pippen. He's not gonna be a Michael Jordan if he, he if he can't shoot. It's it's just not it's just not gonna happen. So it's it's interesting. I really really I'm curious what Philadelphia is going to uh, do with him. Now we we both agree Simmons has a very high probability <laughs> outside of injuries to be. Uh, the number one draft pick in the, the draft, the upcoming draft. Mm-hmm. And there's a couple of teams who are going to battle for it. Right now, who do you think is going to get that lottery win? Do you think it's going to be the 76ers the way it is, uh, maybe even the Lakers? Who who do you think are going to get their hands on Simmons the way they, things are right now? Well, here's the funny thing. Last year, uh, the lottery was won by the last team overall, which was the Minnesota Timberwolves. It was the first time it happened in 10 years since, uh, in 11 years, pardon me, since 2004 when the Magic got Dwight Howard. And so is it going to happen this year again? I don't know. There's only one chance out of four. So maybe the Lakers, maybe the um, Celtics, which would be completely insane because the Celtics are already pretty strong right now. And maybe it's going to be an even a crazier team. Like, nuttier things happen in the NBA. Maybe it's going to be the uh, uh, Sacramento Kings, maybe the Denver Nuggets, maybe the um, uh, Phoenix Suns, which I think would be a complete disaster given how the team is going right now. Um, I have a hunch that maybe it's the Celtics years to get lucky. I think I think it might it might be the Celtics uh, years to uh, flip the the script and get Ben Simmons and become a contender again. All right, to finish the show, Ben. As always, I'm going to mm-hmm. ask you: Is there one big game in particular the next seven days that you're looking forward to? Um, I I'm really at a loss for games because. Uh, the NBA is so predictable this year. And, and it's the All-Star break as well. So there's not many games going on outside Fred, of tonight. 
pretty much and there's the um uh after the cleveland cavaliers beat the san antonio spurs there's not much on the calendar but i'll tell you something i have been a denver nuggets fan for the couple of, last couple of weeks they are playing an up-tempo game they are they look happy to play they are very cohesive together uh, under the uh, tutelage of coach mike malone um, for those who don't know Mike Malone, he was coaching the uh, Sacramento Kings and was getting uh, crazy numbers out of DeMarcus Cousins when he was inexplicably fired a couple of years ago for arguing with the president, basically. So Mike Malone was unfairly fired and he is now coaching the Denver Nuggets and doing a tremendous job. So the Nuggets are playing the uh, Chicago Bulls on Friday, which is interesting because the Bulls are good but struggling. So it's going to be interesting to see how the Nuggets are going to push them. By the way, the Nuggets just beat, uh, just broke the Raptors' winning streak. Yeah, I know. I saw that. <laughs> and uh, on oh. Sunday, they're playing the Knicks. And I, I was like, people were like, "Oh, it's going to be it's a Toronto record. It's not an actual record. It wasn't it's, a real record. It was not. No, it was like a like the winniest." team in Toronto in like a certain amount of decades or something. Mm-hmm. Like, dude, you cannot compare NHL to NBA to whatever. Oh, yeah, of course, of course. Work, so it's yeah, not Apples and oranges. Exactly. But the Nuggets on Friday, on Sunday are playing the Knicks, who have been struggling lately because they have an insanely difficult schedule. They, <laughs> they have played the Warriors last, <laughs> last Sunday and have been uh, romped. Uh, they have played the... the um, the Raptors without Carmelo Anthony or Kristaps Porzingis in the lineup. So it's going to be a good game. I feel it's going to be a a solid, fast-paced and pretty uh, clever, quirky game to watch. All right, Ben, again, thanks again for doing this and we'll talk to you soon. Yes, sir. You were listening to SPN, the Sports Podcasting Network, Visit us, sportspodcastingnetwork.com.